Welcome to The Travelling Senorita, episode 112. I've crossed the border to check out what was going on in Northern Rivers, did a few stories down there, caught up with a few friends and our wonderful community, and resilience is alive and kicking. We're about to face apparently another deluge of rain, uh, but everybody's helping everybody out. It's a people movement down there. I'm really proud of the region that we live and call home. Um, It certainly isn't aided by uh, a lot of uh, government scenarios right now. It literally is driven by the people and I'm right behind them. So well done to that community down there. We'd like to see more support, particularly in the creative sectors and housing, because we uh, definitely have a housing shortage and we need to get Blues Festival across the line this year for all of our Australian musicians and international. Today, I'm very lucky to be back in Brisbane, but on the phone to someone in Sydney who who hails from Melbourne. That's what I love about this show. It's a travel show, but we can do it anywhere in the world. And it's going to be a really creative conversation because this uh, young lady, who's kind of my age as well, so <laughs> we're calling myself young here, is, um, wow, what a story this creative soul has. So please welcome Simone Salt. Hi, Simone. Hello, lovely lady. How are you? I'm good. We've just, we feel like we know each other already because it's only been like a 10-minute convo. But you know when a creative soul yeah. meets another creative soul? I love that. Yes, it's serendipitous. That's what I think. Meant to be. (laughs) Yeah, and you know what? Thank you so much for being here this morning. It's Monday morning and you've had a massive weekend. We will end where your weekend has been, but just give us a little glimpse of what happened for you this weekend. Oh, Lordy. Um, It's been a long time coming, almost a year, and it uh, eventuated in us opening Andrew's brand new production of Phantom of the Opera on Sydney Harbour. The old Andrew Lloyd Webber. In collaboration with Opera Australia. (laughs) Just Andrew. I love that Andrew. But (laughs) Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera opened this weekend. A floating stage, per se? It's absolutely that. Wow. I want to really delve into this at the end of the um, podcast because this is how I found you. But... I've also done a lot of research, not a lot for me, a lot for me, um, of research on you this morning. And it was like, what, you, so you are a professional ballet dancer, choreographer, producer. You've been involved with movies. So we're going to have to go a long way into get to where Andrew's production is now. But let's start at the beginning in Melbourne and where you grew up and how you became a dancer. Mm. Well, as cliched as it sounds, I remember very clearly being around about six and anything before that, that was when I first started training, but I just had this affiliation with music. Music was my happy place. And so my mum and dad um, obviously noticed that and then they um, enrolled me in a wonderful school that to this day is still going, the National Theatre Ballet School in Melbourne, in St Kilda. And it was just, it, and I've said it over the years, it felt like... The moment I took my first ballet class was the reason I came into the world. Everything just made sense. And from there, I just ate it up. It's all I ever wanted to do. So I started at six and I stayed at this one ballet school under the same teachers, incredible teachers at the time, like all from the Australian Ballet Galing Stock and Jenna Lee Rolls, Eileen Tasker from Borovarsky. And, and then that culminated in me leaving school at 13. And now as a mum, I don't even know how my mum and dad allowed uh-huh. that. They must have, <laughs> I don't know, believed in me. Yeah, um, yeah. And I had received a scholarship to study ballet full time. So I did that for three years before I, I got my first engagement, my professional job. So that tells me a lot about your character because as young girls, Australian girls, we all kind mm. of 
dabbled in ballet or, um, you know, I tried Aussie rules because my dad was a coach <laughs> and my brother was a player. But, I mean, these – I would have – I'm born in the wrong time. I would have nailed it now. But back then you were kicked <laughs> off the ground, right? Um, so, so ballet it was for me. But I wasn't that classical ballet dancer. I was more of a jazz – you know, you could tell yeah. a jazz girl and my nan was right behind me with it. But, it, you know, you get to a certain age and it takes full blown commitment and discipline. It's like mm-hmm. being a swimmer that has to get up at 4.30 every morning, isn't it? Just to yeah. keep going. Yeah. So obviously your parents, um, you know, letting you leave school at 13, they knew what you were made of. Well, yeah, I think so. And as I said, it's that weird thing of just the blinkers were on and they must have just, and you do as a parent, as both of us, you and I, like we were talking before, you become a parent and you go, well, you know that child and you want them to follow their path and their destiny, I suppose, but without thinking through the mind of a child, it was a huge risk they took. Yeah. Um, but I, and I did continue with schooling, that like education for correspondence, but between you and I, I don't think I learned a thing because I was either copying off somebody else because it was just about <laughs> dancing for me. It so it's a leg? really good thing it worked out. Did you write all the answers on your leg under your school dress? Absolutely. I think they're still there to this day, <laughs> lovely. <laughs> Uh-oh, it just used a, used a permanent marker. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was a, a huge. Well, look, it, you know, thirty years down the track, obviously, I look back on it and go, it was a huge risk to take. But at the time, it just felt the natural step to yeah. do. So, I just, so I just wanted to. I lived and breathed it. So, how long do you stay at the school in Melbourne for before you? Um, and again, we were talking about Australia, how it's got really good um, training and education mm. in the arts. But then as far as mm. performing goes, we lack a little. So how, mm. how, did, how long did it take for you to then go, OK, I need to explore the wor- world with my craft? Well, ironically, and that's why this, this recent gig has been so beautiful because it's big, I've, got, I've come full circle. My very first professional job, I started full time, 13, just turning 14. And I was full-time ballet training uh, for three years. And then at 17, just turning 17, I received a contract with, because back then the Australian Opera had a full-time ballet company within the, the Australian Opera. Wow. Um, and I auditioned for them in Melbourne. Um, I remember it so clearly at the State Theatre. And it was just that whole idea. It was a short contract, that whole idea of, oh, I'm going to get paid for what it is that I love doing. So the Australian Opera was my first um, professional gig, really. Um, uh, So what's that? I started six and then went to 11 years of of dance training. And then Australian Opera was, it took me, toured me from Melbourne to Sydney with different operas. And that went for, I think, probably about six months. I had six, seven month contract with the AO. Yeah. Um, and then from there, that's when my first sort of, um, again, as I said, full circle, because that's when the very first production of Phantom of the Opera was opening in Australia. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, and so you, it's you insane. Got gig, you got a gig in that? You you were part of it? Yep, ensemble? Yeah, so um, uh, I'll try and make it as short as possible. That was the, the when Phantom first sort of like um, uh, came into everyone's world as a classical dancer, it was beyond comprehension, the idea of, because I wasn't a lover of musical, musical theatre then at all. It was it had to be a ballet company, Sydney Dance Company, one of those. Um, but the whole concept of, oh, getting paid to be a ballet dancer and do something every night whilst my days are free so I could still go do class. And it was just 
I think it was around like the lame is time without me even realizing the like the indelible footprint that it was that it was planting on my life yeah. because prior to that it was always ballets and seeing the Giselles or the Onegans or uh, you know the Swanwicks where that level of communication and emotional connection through physicality yeah. was everything for me and then when I saw Les Mis for the first time and then Phantom the the whole idea of them opening their mouths and communicating through song and text and it moved and connected with me exactly the same way as movement without me even realizing then so it's not something that you were trained at to mix those two together not at all yeah. not and and weirdly back then in that real classical ballet world it's well the, the ballet is the, is the serious um, um, vocation like that's the serious style of dance and it takes extreme dedication and and talent and ability and all of that and then you have your musical theater but you didn't I didn't even realize that you could do both yep yeah no I didn't not, not at all did I think that back that, then um, Andrew Lloyd Webber do you think that's something that he's really um, I guess presented to the world in a, in a way or, or opened up uh, to the general public as in ballet, like the, the 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 classical side of like with Phantom. Yeah, like it's something because the first one I ever saw was in London, and it was Phantom. Um, yeah. God, in you know mid nineties, early nineties actually. Yeah. And I yeah, yeah, yeah. again, having been around you know a little bit of ballet, but I wasn't. I'm not. A, I'm. Not, I'm still not. I will fess up. Other than Phantom, <laughs> of course. But <laughs> musical theatre, like to watch on the screen, it just is doesn't it doesn't um, evoke no. my senses. But when I saw Phantom as a very young girl called Kylie from Australia. In the oh, no, where what? would I have seen it? I would have seen it in, where would that theatre have been that I saw that? The Majesties Thank in you. London, it's still I, there. Yeah, exactly. Imagine walking mm. in there and, you know, as an Australian, your eyes just light up at the theatre, don't they? Mm. Um, but mm. I walked out of there really um, touched by it, just changed really in that sense. And, and and that's it. And I think too, like at the, I mean, originally it was a, a creative team, like second to none. I don't think it's ever been repeated. And the reason I believe you're saying that and why I connected with it is in our world, there was an extraordinary human being um, by the name of Dame Gillian Lynn, and she's the original choreographer of Phantom of the Opera. Right. And um, Gilly was a trained classical dancer. So she came from the ballet world. Right. Um, and that's why I think it's been, it, it's, it's, I've had such a strong connection with it that it's not somebody at any point with Phantom coming in and pretending to be a ballet dancer or pretending to know that world because it's a totally different world. But she's so beautifully and, and superbly connected, intertwined both worlds. So the level of integrity in her original movement throughout Phantom uh, just bodes so well with the storyline because it is a classic love story. Yeah. And so, so it's just, think, it's classy all the way. Do you, classy. Cla I love that. Um, do you think you were in that production that I saw in London? Uh, not in London. I, I, I did Phantom for many years and um, throughout Australia. Like yeah. when I, okay. I came on board, like when it originally opened in 90, I joined, I think it was six months after. Yeah. So I did it for many years here in Australia. But yeah. I have many friends that have been involved in, in the London production. Many. Yes. And so then you turn into a choreographer, producer, <laughs> move to London. <laughs> now, I've skipped a whole lot there, but talk to me how you got to London and then what you started to do then. 
So, um, yes, so fast forward, I was with Phantom. That was my sort of um, uh, benchmark. Like, I just learned so much from that. And then having always wanted to join a company, I then went on and joined Sydney Dance Company in a spoken Sydney under Graham, Graham Murphy and Janet Vernon for many years. Got to the end of that and went, okay, I can either stay, but our international touring was amazing. You were created, that works were created on you. So it was an incredible opportunity and, and experience. And then always wanted and knew that I'd move to London. I went there for the first time in 97 when I was part of Phantom in Australia. And the moment I landed, it felt like I was breathing for the first time. It so just felt like everything made sense. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. When you say part of Phantom in Australia, did you go over there not touring but just to research? How does that connection So happen? we had, when I first went to London during Phantom, it was a break between for memory I think we'd finished in Adelaide, yep. a season in Adelaide, and we were about to move to New Zealand. We we're about to go to Auckland yep. with Phantom. So I had two and a half weeks off. Oh, okay. And yeah, yeah. Um, I booked a ticket and went to London <laughs> for two went, and a half and just weeks. Hung out in the West End. Yeah. In West End. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And just wanted to see the shows. And I, Phantom was one of the first shows I saw. A darling friend of mine, Peter Cousins, was playing the lead role at the time. Wow. Um, so, yes, yeah, so in 2005, moved to London. And it was actually a, a trip that I was going to go to see shows and catch up with friends because I had, uh, weirdly, I had uh, I'd been signed to do a television reality show here in Australia. So it was like a, another little um, chapter where I thought, okay, publicity doesn't start for three months, so I'll head to London. Did you end just up doing this box. reality show? Pardon? Did you do this reality show? Oh, you know, you're going to laugh. Um, I never did. They're still dear friends. One of the producers, a dear friend of mine, David Barbell, um, he, I was supposed to do, I was involved in the third series, I think it was the third or the second series of The Block, the big renovation. I was not expecting you to say that. I was expecting you to say Survivor then. <laughs> oh, that's been the story of my life. Yeah, I'm so seeing you Good in the bush. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, so I was supposed to go over and then about two weeks into arriving in London, but I received an email from them saying that they postponed that season. They were going with another show and then went, okay, with my partner at the time. We both went over there um, and we were like, well, we're in London now. So we might as well make yeah. a go of it. Yeah. And that was, yeah, February 26, 2005. And do you think and like when you arrive in London, because I like, I used to, I don't know, like in Australia, it's interesting, isn't it? We've, we're not a conservative country per se, but I'm I'm the opposite to conservative. So I find everything conservative other than talking to you yeah. this morning. Um, but <laughs> like, I, I don't know, when I got to London, I was just like, like you said, I landed there and I was just like, whoa, like, mm. yeah. And it was back in the day of the credit card that didn't have anything electronic. So it used to just swipe it on a piece of paper. And I was like, oh, oh my super, Lord. Super dangerous. But yeah, the first thing Pretty Woman did was just go and buy a whole new garb of clothes from the place oh. I've never heard of before in my life. Jigsaw, that's right. Or somewhere like that, you know. And I was oh, like, my lordy. That had yes. the jewelry got its hair going on and I was like, yep, I'm ready to go. And then after that, you go to these um, agencies to get work. Oh, you're going to love this. Where I actually got a job was through some friends at the Royal Albert Hall. That was my first job in London. Oh, um, the beautiful Albert Hall. Two years there. And again, walking into that building, like I went from the first tier bar to like the third tier publicity events department so i ended up being on this like top level looking over onto the you know the snow on hyde park or just all the goings on and then i'd just go and get a coffee and there'd just be performers yeah. like bolshar ballet everyone was there yeah crazy Chardin, yes. rehearsing oh. and, 
And I'm not what exaggerating What a venue. It's an extraordinary venue. No. No, 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 no. And because that's the norm too over there at times. Yeah, London. And that's what I mean about it. And then you go to one of the agencies to get some, you know, extra work in between like Eric Clapton's shows and things like that. And and then mm. next thing you know, you're sort of working in at the Daily Telegraph, helping the sports editor out. Just not because you're... I mean, I didn't even study that. I was, you know, mm. studied rough, roughly archaeology and anthropology, but then decided I'm going to PR and media. And oh it was all because Lord. of my, I think, landing in London and just the world became open. And, 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 and the thing is, too, I think when we were talking about a little bit before, you go, there is... Um, I've always said, and I'm sure I'm not supposed to, but I will just swear a little bit because well, I've always said and when I'm podcast. teaching or coaching, <laughs> pardon? You're welcome to on my podcast. Oh, bloody lovely. <laughs> is I've always said it and prefaced when people have asked me or I've done similar things like this today. I've gone, for me, I don't find there's a better combination than being an Australian, but then um, bastardising the rest of the world for everything it's got. <laughs> and that's, that's how I've always seen it because... There's just this, you have this um, this thirst and, and hung, like want to explore and experience absolutely everything. And maybe it's part of our DNA because when we come into the world and we're born Australian, we subconsciously realise we're so far away from the rest of the world. So once we get to the rest of the yeah. world, you go, you just want to breathe it in with every pore of your body. Yeah. So it's that, that um, natural energy, I think, and just hunger. That, Which is that really makes interesting. Very unique. This is interesting, actually, because we were talking about this before. So, you know, you think about the six weeks that used to take people to come to this shore and, and um, you know, mm. how lucky. You've got a T-shirt on today that says lucky, and that's going to be like, <laughs> I'm taking a photo of you with that on for your podcast <laughs> thumbnail. Um, because, you know, the lucky country, that's where it all comes from. But as we mentioned before, with the creative platforms that are provided in this country, when we saw... The, pan the global pandemic flushed through here. Like, mm. what was the first things that were shut down and not funded, in my oh. opinion? And yours, clearly. Mm. But, you know, the mm. platforms that were really, um, really suffered the most was like any freelance creative performer <laughs> or mm. freelancer. Mm. Let's just say any freelancer in tourism, mm. media hospitality arts <laughs> let's go yeah there. or across the board across uh -huh. the board and i'm not saying everybody didn't suffer in some way shape or form but if you're in like finance or politics or mm -hmm. business you know of some sorts you could really pretty much more metamorphosize into your um, lounge room on a computer but mm. for creative performers um we weren't able to fly over to london and 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 you know like you said bastardize the world we then had to yeah. our own country so i'm really interested in what you think about the future of that and what it looks like now that we're all locked down in well, Australia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it's exactly what you said. I mean, our business was completely and utterly annihilated and it felt like it was uh, like in a, in a nanosecond, it happened. And for, for me, I was away from Australia Australia at the time because I was um, in New York and we were, we were about five days away from opening a show on Broadway. Really? And it's just, it's surreal. It will stay with me forever and a day. I was working on another show, um, Sondheim, Stephen Sondheim's company, and uh, we were about to, it was probably one of the most coveted tickets in, in um, on Broadway in New York at the time because we were supposed to open on Sondheim's 90th birthday. And this was in 2020. All in rehearsals were in previews. It was standing room only. And I remember so clearly, I think it was March 12th, the Thursday, that we came into the work. And then with the fellow creatives, Broadway um, closed down that day. And that was it. 
So I had, it felt like we had about 24 hours to get out of New York because it was an unknown world that we were walking into, that I needed to get back to London to see my son. So fast forward, me coming out to Australia during that pandemic, you go, it was, it evaporated in a heartbeat. And then you felt like you spent so much of that time trying to prove to the rest of the world that it was a um, a proper job to hold down and we were all unemployed and unrecognized and in, in, invisible in a way at that point there was no real um particular funding or anything you went we we went from you know and, it, and it's not just me it was millions of people in the business but at one point you're there going i'm on the cusp of opening being part of a creative team that's opening a show on broadway to coming back here and and standing in a in a in a queue at at the, the for, for some sort of funding, and then going well when you have to fill in these questions, you go it doesn't even come down as a job description. You know, so you go how do I actually say well I'm a mother of one, and now I I don't have this this or this, and I have to make sure that my son is being fed, and it drops down as not even a, a category in these forms. So. It was a harrowing time, you know, for for a lot of us. But then with your question, fast forward, I think what it's done in a roundabout way, and that's what you want to try and what we all want to try and push forward now, is it reinstated and reminded everyone how important our industry is during this time. Because that was across the board, whether it be live theatre, television, film, any dance, any form of entertainment was an escape from the reality of life storytelling you know like story and and god something just came to me then the dream time like the indigenous um mm. 60,000 years of culture and and you know the the rawness of this country is is all built on dream time and storytelling so absolutely and that is like we can label all the different sectors but at the end of the day it's storytelling isn't it like it's absolutely that and it's that thing where they it falls into that category of depending on the show or the um the type of entertainment that you're watching it's pure escapism and we as human beings and especially in these last two years where they've been such dark times for so many of us you absolutely you need it you need it to continue with your own life of just oh for those two and a half hours i'm going to forget that i don't have a job or i don't know where my next step is and you go you sit there and you can either immerse yourself in somebody else's life and the and the power of music yeah to do that well that's what i was saying to you before about blues fest if it doesn't go ahead i know there's a whole lot of us including myself and i'm an eternal optimist we're all just going to hit the deck big time because i think last one we'd all set up ready to go and then it just shut that day like we're all in there as you felt as you just described in new york which would have been incredible to like feel that Uh, oh it was it was like one of that you're expecting will smith or tom cruise to walk down a street because it felt surreal It felt like like the city shut down. Wow, a movie. Yeah, interesting. And so um, going forward with – actually, before I go forward, there was something else on your bio that really intrigued me. So (laughs) um, producer, choreographer, dancer. Have I got that right? Yes. Those three things. And then I was like, hang on a second, Um, Alice in Wonderland, Tim Burton – Talk to me mm-hmm. about when you got into <laughs> well, that was, and, that was through a, a wonderful lady um, by the name of Francesca James who works very closely um, with Tim Burton as far as all movement and choreography throughout like all of his shows, all of his movies. And again, 
Again, it sounds, you know, and I feel very blessed, and I always preface it with that. There's not a day where I don't wake and I feel eternally grateful for the opportunities and the people that I now call friends and work alongside of. Um, especially as a girl growing up and going to ballet in St Kilda, I never thought that would have probably to that degree, or maybe I did, but that's arrogance, I suppose, yeah, um, or naivety. It's it's <laughs> um, but it's very much the norm over in the United Kingdom as far as like they do. I've been blessed to be involved in. It was Sweeney Todd, the first one, and then Alice in Wonderland um, with with Tim Burton, and um, and then went on to Beauty and the Beast, with, directed by Bill Condon and, and Mamma Mia, and there through collaborations with an incredible choreographer and director called Anthony Van Last. So those creative opportunities at Shepperton Studios they are the norm in London, and and the incredible thing is as um, as a creative. Whether you're still on one side, like if you're still on the performance side, the older you get, it doesn't seem as ageist, and and it's a, it's appreciated of what you're bringing into the mix, experience. Yeah. So it's it's um, you know they're they're incredible. I mean, Beauty Beauty and the Beast for one was an incredible. We shot that film for six months, I think it was seven months. Yeah. Turned up every day. And you what, know, so, so your role on that film was. What was your day-to-day like on that film? What were you doing on that film? On, on Beauty? Yeah. Um, so we were, the audition process was gruelling, but um, apart from, like, there was the star cast, obviously, with um, Emma Watson, Emma Thompson, uh, Ian McKellen, Stanley Tucci, all of that, Kevin Klein, like, incredible, incredible, Luke Evans. Um, uh, they had, like, a little posse of, I think there was 10 of us, 12 of us, and we were, like, the the villagers in Villeneuve, like, the, the little French um, town that Belle came from. And so all of it was creating all of the dance pieces, so we're in Gaston's Tavern, the opening scene, the ball, like, throughout the film. And then we all had... Um, you know, and it's and it's it sounds so tiny, but on a on a gigantic monumental scale like Disney, um, we all had our lines to sing, and that that sort of opportunity, as far as like an an a, a girl from Australia, like was quite phenomenal. I mean, I remember the day we had the reading, and we're I was only looking at it about a week. Ago. It was in Shepparton Studios, and every Disney exec flew over wow. to the United Kingdom, <gasps> and it was just this huge sit around a table and we got up and performed all of the numbers it was like a show within a show and that was just a table read so you had everyone from kevin klein to emma watson to emma thompson all sitting down and just reading through the script and i guess Um, at the end of the day everyone's just a person right there you go and that's the leveler and that's that thing of i've i I look i feel like and i and i say it a thousand times over that i'm still a sponge in this world, yeah, even in my 40s, yeah. because it feels like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> and the leveler and the reminder that I give myself is, you know, from being in a room and, and working with the incredible likes of Marianne Elliott, who is a darling friend of mine now, and um, Stephen Sondheim and Patti Lapone, and then Andrew being out the other day, you actually have to take a moment in order to do your job to go, they breathe the same air as us. Yeah, I love it. I love that. And they just, that's it. And you have to be like, and that's the only way I can work. So, yeah, of course, great. deep down, the little kids inside going, oh, my God, it's Pat's or it's it's yeah. Andrew. Yeah. But you just, you go, yeah. these are people that are passionate about their work and, and it's my job to facilitate their work. such a good um, connection for them because it's, it's that, having worked in media for such a long time, any of the 
big guns are just wanting to be treated like normal people. They, it's, it's the entourage sometimes that, you know, and I try not to be that, but the entourage that mm. freaks them out. <laughs> they just want to like connect That's it. With, like, That's someone, it. And you, you go, know? and it's like, you know, my dad always said, and it's like you come into the, the world the same way and we yeah. all go out of it the same way. That's, so you go, yeah. it's absolutely that. And half the time, because it's like, and not on that level at all, but you know when younger students will ask me things and you go oh don't think I'm anything other than Simone from Melbourne who is extremely grateful and fortunate to be doing what she's doing I don't believe in you really are I'm doing this refreshingly amazing I'm on I want to hang out with you how do I get to you How do I get to be normal with you with all those fancy people I would say though if I was like around if I was on the Alice in Wonderland set with Tim Burton and like Oh my god! And who's my favorite? Like this is a bit of a menopausal moment. Who's my favorite girl? Like the main actress, you know, the crazy girl with the big hair. I've just had a mental blank. In, in like uh, like in right. Tim Burton's he, films. Yeah, he's, he's, oh, right. Helena Bonham Carter. Oh, I know. I'm sorry that I yeah. forgot that. But like, I just did the hair, so you got it. Um, <laughs> I just love her so much. Her vibe. Uh, I just yeah, again, if someone, you know, if you had a dinner party, I would absolutely say that I want her at the table. <laughs> oh, incredible, incredible. And I remember this is years ago and just, you know, I hadn't been in London very long. I think it was like a year, six, 10 months. Yeah. And um, when we came in on board and just, just in the dancing scene and stuff and just being privy to watching rehearsals between um, Helena Bonham Carter and Johnny Depp for Sweeney Todd oh, was incredible. amazing. Incredible. Yeah. They just, yeah, I mean, you know, that sort of talent. It's like you and I talking, it's yeah. their normal. Yeah, exactly. That's why you're mm. going to be on the dinner table as well. Um, can oh, you organise Johnny and um, and uh, <laughs> Tim? Sure, I've got them on speed dial. Not a problem. Not a problem. <laughs> and um, uh, right, okay. So now we're going to talk about what is mate. You've had an amazing career, and I'm sure mm. that we've only just brushed over it. And it's mm. absolutely going into your your fifties and sixties. Look at you go. So what's going on <laughs> on the Sydney? Harbour, and I missed it by a cat's whisper. The girls were like, are you sure you can't stay another week? But I'd already been kind of grounded there for a month and I was only going on a um, three-day trip to a tourism seminar to Sydney, but I drove and I never drive. It's really weird. I drove from Mm. Brisbane to Sydney and then we got stuck there because there was something like 135 road closures on the way back and every time I went to leave, a water was rising, so, you know, from the Hawkesby right through. Um, mm. So we had to end up going when we could, but I was so tempted to fly back for the opening night of. Um, oh, you so sure? You just hit me up. You could have been my date. Oh, my no. other date. Oh my god, I would love that <laughs> because I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I went to a concert on. Um, oh, what's the name of the island? There's an island there that I went to. Again, this is one of those moments. I went to see Great mm-hmm. Southern Land <clears throat> on Cockatoo oh, wow. Island. It does come back on Cockatoo Island, which was only yes. about a month ago, which had um, Aussie Crawl. God, James Rain is, a, we can share this because we grew up near him, all of us. Yeah, um, yeah. He's just insane. His voice is, like, seriously the same and he just it's rocks It's iconic, it. isn't it? He's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and we had Ivor Davies, we had Ice House, mm. Casey Chambers um, and a few others. You'll relate to this because something I really liked that Ivor did was, and you might know the young man, it's remiss of me not to remember, but he brought onto stage a young Melbourne musician who's a guitarist and singer to help him out with his voice projection, which I think is so smart. Now, I don't know if he describes it like that, but the way as as someone in the crowd, because those songs are iconic and every every song's a winner, 
But you know what? I think he's like sixty-eight or something. Like he's yes. going on, and you you'd know yourself, Simone. That's a hard, particularly singing. That's a hard thing to keep on like busting. Oh out. my god! It's it's like the body physically as a dancer. You go. It doesn't. It yes. gets to a point where it doesn't want to do what it's always done. Yeah, and effort, and I mean, uh, effortlessly. You can hide it a little bit with the guitar. Like he was playing guitar, but he was singing his songs. But he brought on this gorgeous guy who must just look at Ivor as his hero, and they just. Yeah. Together, the harmony is what they created in Ice House. So if you ever get a chance it's, to see those guys. Something like that is really clever and yes. and um, it, just the right way forward because you go, we all we all get older yes. and there's nothing worse than watching somebody rather than going, yes. let's remember you when yeah. and now let's nurture the next generation. Yeah. Um, then go, oh, I need to still be in that in the in the spotlight. Um, yeah. doing the same thing, you go. It's not possible unless no, you're ja- no. unless you're James Rain. But <laughs> but the crowd and the crowd is unforgiving. You know, like they're. Not, I mean, particularly that was a fairly sort of like middle aged um, white. Uh, you know, yeah, there crowd. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. you know, that's hilarious. But but I um, loved that. But when I was there, I was pretty sure the girls said to me that this stage was going to be around that Cockatoo Island. What, what's Where is it? And talk me through where Phantom is has just opened on the cover. So, so Phantom is, uh, yeah, it is. It is an extraordinary experience because this is the collaborative Australian opera. I think they've done it for about 10 years, Hosh, and it's Hand Opera on Sydney Harbour. And they, they construct more or less what it looks like, but it does feel very still when you're on it, thank goodness. But it's like a floating stage so it's just on the harbour. So you sit there. It's 3,000 people capacity, auditorium, all outdoors. And then in the background, you have the Harbour Bridge and the Opera House. And it lights up. And in front of that is is our production of Phantom. So I think what's happened, or I know what's happened rather over the years, is they... they um, uh, majority of the time put on operas. A couple of years ago, they had West Side Story. I think it was, but this is a first as far as, I don't think anyone really realised, all of us included, that the moment you think about the, the the idea of possibly putting on Phantom of the Opera through Andrew's company and then collaborating with the Australian Opera, the sheer magnitude of, of what that will encompass creatively, um, cast-wise, crew-wise, just dates, everything, logistics. So it is such a phenomenal experience. And as it's been said in many reviews, and it is true, it's it's a global first because it just takes your breath away. We have, because the story is as it was 36 years ago, it's reimagined. It's a brand new production through direction of Simon Phipps, um, incredible set designer, costume designer, uh, Gabriella Telesova, and Nick Schlieper, the lighting designer, myself, I feel blessed to be choreographing and assistant directing. Um, so we absolutely protected it with kid gloves, yet sprinkled some new fairy dust on it, hopefully. <laughs> you, are, you are such a collaborator. You would be that refreshing to work with. I'm not saying everyone's not a collaborator, but sometimes in, we all have an ego, um, healthy mm. egos, but sometimes the ego gets in the way. You do not strike me like that at all like you must be and i'm sure if i spoke to any of the people you work with they would mm. they describe you as a collaborator well i hope that would be really nice because i think it's that thing of 
Look, we must all have an ego, but I feel like mine is very much in check. And <laughs> I hope, um, famous last words, you'll probably get somebody ringing in after this and going, one of the biggest pains in the A ever. Not at all. Um, and well, that means I it, am too. So let's go together, sister. Let's go <laughs> exactly. down on the sinking uh, stage of opera that, together. <laughs> yeah, it, look, and it's that thing of just, um, I think the, the, the grounding thing with me is having a classical background. Yeah. Oh, so, I'm so sorry. Classical right. background. You have a. Um, it's it's just part of your training to always be striving for something that a doesn't exist. Perfection. Yeah. And just feeling grateful and wanting to make the very best and the most of um, um, a, a situation and an environment. So yeah, yeah. coming on board and working any and I've you know I've had the the. Um, great honor of working for andrew's company on quite a few things because i also work on the phantom sequel love never dies um wow. so phantom 2 so that's why this has been such a, a labor of love having the opportunity to revisit the original me knowing it firsthand from my time as a dancer and, and performer in it to knowing that where it goes because the story takes place picks up 10 years down the track from the original phantom wow. and it's the same creative team so we had that very much in mind. And also for me, um, holding on to and upholding rather the legacy of Dame Gillian Lynn's choreography. Yeah. So it was never about me coming in and going, um, oh, this is my, my time to shine and let the world show them my language as a choreographer. It was staying true to the text and the show, yeah. but reimagining it through and putting it on 2022 bodies and it's a different generation of performer now. On, so hopefully on a trying to capture stage that. With the most magnificent harbour in the back, back, background. It's, it, <laughs> and it, it's exactly that, because you know when you take your seat, not only the talent and the, the, the level of performance in the show in general, but you know in that moment, you know, when there's the, the, the Paris Opera or the Met, um, there's a Royal Albert Hall, you know in that moment you take a seat, you go, we are offering some, something to the rest of the world that, you 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 cannot replicate because having the harbour bridge there as much as that's our everyday go to it's it's one of the you know few icons of the the world like it's incredible it's an incredible experience oh God, and down. when they're over to your damn it, i'm coming down today when's the next when's the next show <laughs> come 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 I'm you must driving. see it i'm not you driving must. um i'm definitely coming to see it though but i'm definitely not driving so um what did andrew think Oh, look, you know what? That's that's the $50 million question, isn't it? And I'm so happy to say that he had a fantastic evening. He absolutely loved it, oh and God. so did his team. So that is makes us completely and utterly buoyant because you always want the Lord's sign of approval. Yeah. And, it's, and, and what's so wonderful is when you are in his presence, he is this... He just—it's like the the years are stripped back because he's as passionate as the the first day that he obviously started collaborating and writing the show. So to oh. see it unfold and to get that seal of approval from him is everything you work for. Oh, so beautiful, Simone. So when you're not creating, <laughs> creating and working, like you've got a young man who's still asleep right now, who's nine, ten, ten. <laughs> I do. I love that about him. It must be like the Monday morning blues. It's really cool. I um, know. It is. It's like, what is it? Yeah, 9.54, yeah. drink it, drink it. Education is no. in the in, in his dreams. He's creating. <laughs> um, so, exactly. So what do you do? Um, what does Simone do? What is it? What's her vibe other than creating and working? 
Oh, look, you know what? I just, for me, London is my home. It's enough for when I do have downtime. I've been very lucky to work from like back to back, especially after the pandemic and whatnot. Um, when I have any downtime, it's obviously spent with my son. Yeah. And it's enough, as cliched as it sounds, it's enough for me to um, walk through the streets of London. Like for me, it's always something to do yeah. with either visiting an art gallery or a museum and um or catching up with friends i my one little sidebar is i love um antiques and upcycling furniture i do that so portobello I, road's I'm, got your like you're just hanging out in portobello you probably just hang around. oh my god <laughs> yeah that's like that's that's my absolute go-to because it's that thing of just being able to put music on and and have half a glass of wine and then just go to the garage or wherever i am and just paint and upcycle because i just i, I think i've that. probably lived in a, another time in france somewhere like yes, in another life you have. um so that's my and everything other than that is sort of work related but it doesn't feel like it is because yeah. it's always um, creative or art inclined, yeah. I suppose. You've got, I it. You've got it, sister. So Travelling Senorita would love to hang out with the French um, the French uh. artist here. Uh, I'm trying, uh. my arrow is firmly pointed at um, Barcelona at the moment, so I'm trying really hard to get over there. When will you be back in uh, London? So I'm heading, so I'm staying here for the Phantom season, and, when and that's that four, weeks. four weeks. Um, right. We finish, we finish April twenty fourth. Wow! And then I'm looking at heading back to London um, for May. Yeah, great. Yeah. I'll see you over there. Now, um, yes. To finish, uh, who and where? Because this is a people to place podcast. Who and where in the world inspires you? Oh wow! Well, who question. and where? So, <laughs> France is probably London is my home, and it's never ceased to inspire and amaze me every day I've lived there. Yep. Um, and France would be there is a particular place called Villefranche that I first went to years ago, and then it was probably one of the happiest moments in my life. I took my mum and dad there. Where's that? And whereabouts is that? So it's. It's like I, you fly into Nice, mm -hmm. and I just remember flying into Nice, and it's on the coast around the corner. Wow. And for one one euro, I think it was, I got on the bus and travelled around. It's like this little inlet, and it's between Nice. You can drive to Mo it's like Monaco, oh. and then go over the. It's that's just where this I'm little heading. I'm heading to Monaco for a little podcast. Oh. I asked for the prince, oh. and I ended up getting a beautiful distiller. I think, fingers crossed. So, oh my lordy, yeah, oh my lordy, it's you must go there. I could very happily retire there, wow. or buy a little chateau somewhere in Loire Valley. Wow. So it would be France, and um, you know, I've I've been blessed to work with incredible people in this business, and now call them my friends. Yeah, but I would probably say what would inspire me most, especially as I get older and I have continue to have these phenomenal opportunities um i would love nothing more than my my mum and dad and and family to be with me in france and i lost my mum about five years ago oh bless so no. yeah and so, so will, that would will your dad be able to is yeah, he able to come he, over and hang out he was he was yeah so he was he's still here so i catch up with him later this afternoon he flew up oh, um he traveled up rather to sydney for opening night oh my so god so it was beautiful having cry. my dad here. I, I feel yeah. like he would have just been so proud well, they, I mean, the amazing thing is, and I'll, I should send it to you actually, when I, and I have a photo of my very first performance in Phantom of the Opera at Princess Theatre. And do. I took a photo with my mum and dad at stage door. So it was a very emotional night, Friday oh, night, yeah. um, uh, because my dad was with me 
and yes. my son had seen the show the night before yes. and um, I very much hoped that my mum was there she was watching it all and 50% there that's definitely come through <laughs> now your son's mm. name is Luca Luca and is Luca sort of aspiring to does he look at mum and think what's mum doing I like that <laughs> we have a thing that I think <laughs> I said a throwaway comment when he could, when he first started learning how to talk, and he holds on to it now, my son would literally pick me up and smack my tush. As far as he is so learned and so intelligent, he'll either be anything to do with science and space oh and hilarious. maths. He's incredibly intelligent, and he knows now. As I said, it was a throwaway comment, but he knows now that um, when we meet people or something, and he wants to tell them about facts, he's all about passing on information. That he's oh he's literally the sponge at this moment in time. That he'll say, "Oh, did you know that so and so or algebra or da 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 da?" About that nice stand, and he goes, um, "And my mum doesn't know anything about this because my mum's in theatre." That's his go-to sentence. You know, uh, so, it probably that is no surprises there. Our oldest son, Lewis, is uh, economics commerce. That's what he's just studied, double degree in five years, which I wouldn't have lasted five minutes. Um, yeah. And, yeah, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? And I've got a younger one, which you're going to laugh at. I didn't call him Will Smith because of Will Smith. I called him Will <laughs> Mitchell Smith, and then we got rid of the Mitchell somehow. But um, he's Will that. Smith, and he also was in this mass fight, but he's just started going into like marketing um story oh wow he's helping traveling senorita launch her brand there you go folks my son is trying to turn everything that oh. i do into gold not really because it doesn't really matter. oh how brilliant but but because you know he's got he's he's got your back so what well, well yeah, he didn't he didn't he just couldn't pay his rent and i said i'll pay your rent if you sort out my life because i'm a really good go. storyteller and i know that about myself but i don't know how to capture yeah. the um you know, the dollar, you know, the, the cash. That, yes, yeah, not, yeah not it's a business. So, yeah, so I get cool. it I'm totally. In, I'm more into the barter system. It's all good. But um, <laughs> he's, yeah, so, so it's funny, isn't it, how we have these children that are that are quite, um, have quite different parts of the brain than us. Yes, yeah. And he is, I mean, look, Luca is during, especially homeschooling last year, we were in such a routine because I was madly prepping. It was before, because I was in New York for three months last year because we, we went back to open company. Wow. But I knew I was prepping for that show and then Phantom had come into my life. So I'd started prepping for that. But at the same time as, <clears throat> excuse me, as homeschooling Luca every day yeah. during that all that time. And it was just a go-to for us, and I love that, how oh. music is really important to Luca. Yeah. So we would just have our playlist. He has his spot, his own Spotify playlists, and it was always Max Richter or Oliver Arnals or anything wow. classical, and that would help him do his schooling. Oh, so I think classicals opened up his math brain. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think it is. So I think he has – I don't see him singing and dancing on a, on a stage any day soon. I would never push him into that yeah, because yeah. it's something that yeah. you either want to do, yeah. you can't be made to do it at all um and yeah i think he'll go on and and be the first scientist forward slash astronaut who loves classical music in space maybe i don't know oh it's an absolute absolute delight speaking with you simone thank you so much for joining me on a monday morning i'm going to sign off now you're going to say goodbye in french and i'm saying goodbye in spanish so adios Oh, au revoir, mon ami. Au revoir. <laughs> Encantada, senorita. <laughs> ciao, ciao. <laughs>